welcome to episode 444. I'm Matt, and in this week's show, one airline breaks records buying from the big boys. We talk near misses at JFK Airport, and everyone's favourite airline uh, for a punch-up invests heavily in training. Uh, in the military, we take a closer look at what is happening with all these balloons, as well as exploring the new roles uh, the t new T-7 Red Hawk Jet will take on. Joining me this week on the show, he's literally just arrived. <laughs> I'm not even joking, he has literally just this second arrived uh, in his home. I'm delighted to say that it gives me great pleasure to welcome Armando. Hello, Armando. Hello, Bat. Hello, special <laughs> guest, which who we haven't introduced yet. Hello, chat room. Yeah. Um, I see there's some chat room comments about top secret anti-balloon testing. Don't worry, we'll get into it a Ooh. little bit later in the military. <laughs> if, if in doubt, if in doubt, yes, of course. So as I say, Armando has literally just hot-footed it from a very important business meeting. That's why he's looking all smart and sharp, obviously. Not that he looks like crap the rest of the time, obviously. Uh, and uh, joining hey. us also, what's, oh, sorry, am I? Is it, is it true that you don't wear plaid in London? I think it's very. I, I heard I think that's it, a thing, right? I, I, I don't know. I think it depends on which part of London. Uh, I mean, if you wore it in Manchester, you'd probably get stuff thrown at you. Uh, <laughs> Somebody in the chat room that's in the UK, please let me know if, yeah, it, is, yeah. if it is actually okay to wear plaid to business meetings in London or not, oh. so I don't make that mistake in the future. Right. Okay. Duly noted. Uh, yes. Also joining us this week, uh, it gives me great pleasure. So welcome back on the show, the legend that is Andy. Hello, Andy. <laughs> Hello. Oh, I'm getting legend status now. Yeah, I know. Oh. I know. Well, you've been here. You've been here more than I have lately. I'm not yeah, gonna lie. I've been here a lot, haven't I? I need to get my medical back so I can right. go back to work. <laughs> All right. No, no need to be rude. Uh, <laughs> How are you, Matt? I'm very, very well, thank you. We're all we're all enjoying a nice beverage this evening, aren't we? Which is quite nice. Yes. So it's uh, yeah, very much uh, very excited about that. It, I have to be honest. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, Andy, what are, what have you been up to? I know I know you've had. Some Sort of quite a lot on your plate lately um and uh sort of like the the talk of getting back in the air is almost upon you yes so finally after nearly eight weeks my balance issues and hearing issues seem to have sorted themselves out um which is great because i'm sick of wandering around feeling like i'm permanently <laughs> drunk oh, I, but, thought, I thought that I, th I thought that was standard for someone <laughs> like your good self you know well, do you, you know, know high functioning it? alcoholic obviously i sort of assumed that <laughs> It, it's like being drunk with, but without any of the fun. So what's the point? Good point, well made. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, that that's got a lot better now, thankfully. So oh, I'm goodness. now in the 28-day uh, wait until I can have my medical back. So I've got to be clear of symptoms for yep. four weeks. So that's all booked in, uh, and then I go on holiday for two weeks immediately after. But <laughs> never mind. Um, yeah. So I've just been doing my other work for my job my office part of my job while i've been grounded so yeah nothing new here still in the pub still enjoying life glad <laughs> to be back and honestly it's just like uh did 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 you build it during lockdown or did you have it yes. like oh did, yes right. yes <laughs> it's just like i need i need you know you, you you've got to have a pub and you can't be from the north and not have access to a pub at all times <laughs> <laughs> Oh, is that regionalism? Yeah, uh, yes, very much regionalism. so. Yes, I apologise for nothing. Uh, <laughs> you know, it is it is what it is, as I say. And Armando is now here. Now, I say you've come back. I don't suppose you can go into too much detail about what you've been up to, Armando, but you're just back from a very important business meeting. Oh, it's actually no problem at all. It, oh, awesome. um, Yeah, so, um, and actually this kind of goes along with 
follow-up from last week's episode. So if you have any questions, I know it's a little bit of a convoluted uh, world, the whole charter and corporate, and we were talking about Part 91, Part 135, Part 91K, which is like this mysterious thing that nobody knows about. Um, during the show, if you have questions from last week's episodes, you can send them to uh, the chat room. You can send them to our WhatsApp, which is uh, plus four four. Uh, help me out, Matt. Seven. Uh, hang on one moment. He's, Stand he's by. Trying, plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. That's yep. plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. I thought I'd put the graphics back, but I haven't yet because we, we just reloaded it. So yeah, have to do that. No, from it's the fly. totally perfectly fine. You can put them in the chat room too. Yeah. Um, or if you're in the podcast family, you can just text them to me yeah. um, because I know it's a, a little bit of a convolute. It was great. I, I had a, a great time with Steven and, and uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jeff and we could have really gone on for another couple hours. I, uh, Andy, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to that, but I feel like it's, did you? Um, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, it, it, it's a. It's he's, a he's been very busy. He's been very busy, busy in his pub. That's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it was a lot of fun to talk about this part of aviation that we don't usually talk about. At least, really getting into the weeds on on what it is, how we approach it from a pilot standpoint, how you can get into it. So, if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to it, go back and listen to, to last week's episode, uh, the corporate aviation special. But um, specifically, there were—I know there were some questions generated from it, and I think we have Matt is so good on the buttons that we could probably do, uh, you know, some some audience feedback by the end of the show. Okay. And maybe yeah. maybe before the military, you know, I can go back and address some yep. of those questions from that corporate aviation special. Yeah. Um, but but sorry to take to, to drone on, but that that directly relates to what I was doing today. So I, I am flying part 91 uh, mostly. I, I, I've gotten out of on-demand charters. And what I was doing today was uh, there was an, another Pilatus owner that just bought their airplane. It's a company that just upgraded from a, from a TBM, a Sakata TBM up to a Pilatus. And there's really only two instructors in the area, myself and one other guy. And between the two of us, we're really trying to work with these new owners, new operators on mentoring them. And uh, basically they fly with us, we mentor them and uh, for their 25 hours or 50 hours for whatever the pilot they have on staff, it, um, it meets their insurance requirements for instruction in the airplane before those pilots, even, even an ATP rated pilot uh, needs to have some kind of mentorship and training into the airplane. So um, that's what I'm doing mostly aside from flying the Hawker is just mentoring these, these new owners into their, their new Pilatus aircraft. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That sounds very full on. I'm not going to lie. That's incredible. Oh. It's a, it's a great airplane and it, and it, to be honest, it is a step up for some. If you're, you know, coming up from a, a 206, maybe a, a Navajo or a Chieftain, um, but for me, I'm so comfortable in the airplane that it's 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 like jumping into a 182 or jumping into a Piper or something like that. I'm so comfortable in the airplane that that it's it's pretty hard to to scare me in the airplane, even when I'm sitting in the right seat. And and it's great to pass on, you know, now four years of knowledge in the airplane onto new operators new owners um basically same thing you, you know you're you guys are doing as as training captains at the airline but i have a lot more leeway to 
you know, come up with a training profile and say, hey, today this is what we're going to do because this is what your uh, areas of improvement are. That's nice that you can really tailor it like that for them. It's good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and if anybody wants to, as Armando was saying there, uh, if anybody wants to, sorry, I'm literally doing this on the fly. I've never done this before, so this could end up end badly. If anybody would like to get a message in, you can send the number plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. That only works on WhatsApp, I should say. So if you want to send in your questions, you can leave them in the chat room as well. You can pop them in now, and I'll try and sort of like schedule them all for a bit of a discussion later on. But any questions regarding the special that Armando's just been talking about, uh, you can WhatsApp them to plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six or you can uh, pop them into the chat room and we'll we'll talk about them later on in the show well i, I think... love making i love making you work in the middle of the yeah show. yeah something absolutely. Uns unscripted <laughs> absolutely nothing like keeping me on my toes is there okay so <laughs> that's that's the introductions done shall we uh, get into it we've got a really interesting story to start things off with uh and uh, if everybody's ready let's go shall we let's do it So we're going to start with Andy. The first story is is a big one, um, and uh, we've got a report that's finally been released uh, literally today. Yeah, it's uh, it's the initial report uh, from the Yeti ATR crash, and this is from Flight Global. It says uh, that both Yeti's uh, ATR propellers were feathered just after pilot called for flap extension. Uh, Nepalese investigators probing the Yeti Airlines ATR-72 crash at Bukhara have disclosed that both propellers feathered just after the flying pilot asked for further extension of the flaps. The aircraft had been descending to runway 12 following a service from Kathmandu on the 15th of January. Its landing gear was deployed and the flaps set at the 15 degree position before the crew disengaged the autopilot about 720 feet. Some 20 seconds after the flaps were set, the flying pilot, a captain undergoing familiarisation with an instructor, called for a further flap extension from 15 degrees to 30 degrees. But although the instructor replied flaps 30, the flight data recorder did not record any movement of the flap surface, states the Nepalese Air Accident Commission in its preliminary findings. Uh, the inquiry revealed that instead the propellers of both engines sim simultaneously lost rotation speed the level falling below 25% and the torque started declining to zero. It says this is consistent with both propellers feathering and no longer generating thrust. The flap setting for the ATR-72 is, uh, sorry, the feather setting on the ATR-72 is on the condition lever, which is situated immediately to the left of the flap lever on the throttle quadrant. I believe you've got a picture of that, Matt, as well. Uh, cockpit voice recording information indicate caution chimes sounding in the cockpit the crew proceeded with the approach carrying out the before landing checklist and turning left onto the base leg as the aircraft reached 500 feet the stabilized height for visual approach it was banking at 30 degrees moments afterwards a click was heard and the flaps finally extended to the 30 degree position but only when landing clearance was given a few seconds later did the pilot mention that the engines were not producing power 
The throttle levers were advanced initially to the 62 degree position and then to maximum just before the aircraft initiated its final turn at 368 feet. Investigators stated that the pilot handed control to the instructor, again remarking that there was no power, and the stick shaker activated, indicating the risk of a stall. A second stick shaker triggered immediately afterwards and the aircraft banked abruptly to the left, striking the ground six seconds later. Unfortunately, everybody on board uh, was killed in that accident. And while the inquiry is yet to reach conclusions, the Commission points out that the ATR-72's propellers can be feathered automatically, although locks prevent dual feathering in such cases, or feathering manually by the crew, normally in the event of an in-flight engine shutdown. Uh, no valid data is collected by the flight data recorder once the propeller speed falls below 25%, the inquiry says. So yeah, it's, uh, oh, it's an interesting one. A lot of things happened there. Yeah, this is this is really unfortunate, and a lot of questions are going to be are going to come up with this. Especially the the left seat, the left seat pilot, the pilot flying was a captain upgrade. Um, having finished, I think she was at her the end of her uh, what, what we would consider an IOE um, initial operating experience. So the right seat is a training captain, and I'm looking at the uh, center console of the ATR. Uh, Sam Dawson says, you know, it's been 20 years since uh, since they flew in an ATR, but can't fathom confusing the flaps and the condition levers. I'm looking at the picture here, and I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, yeah, so we, we've got a couple of pictures, actually. Uh, uh, yeah. Armando, you've just sent me a picture of, uh, uh, of what, as I say, and Andy sent me an illustration as well. Um, yeah. So, uh, for people like me, this this is really so. I mean, there's a lot about this story that I don't understand, obviously. Um, so, uh, so let's start with this. So, this is the control um, that that, if you like, is is sort of involved in in the uh, this incident here. Uh, I'm just going to go to a, a like a like a 2D version of it, which Andy sent me actually. So, just just in the context of the story that we're going here, um, Andy, perhaps I could trouble you to just try and as I say, because I appreciate I don't know a lot. Of about what what any of this means so yeah, uh, so the, if we go through the story w what are these levers in relation to the context of the uh, preliminary findings there's three levers here that we're interested in the one on the far right the flap lever the white one and then the two to the left of that numbered one and two the condition levers now here it appears that the condition levers have been moved back into the FTR position which you can see just below the levers on, on that picture mm instead of the flap lever being moved uh, this is a different model actually because that says flap 35 but it should be flap 30. it's we don't know what the same concept though yeah we don't know what pressures they were under at the time again this was under instruction even though a captain upgrade should be less work for the instructor um this was a new airport as well so maybe they were both unfamiliar with the the new um airfield so again that increased the workload but again i've never flown this aircraft type but they're very close together looking at it the two condition levers together are a similar size to the single flap lever um but i don't know i don't know if it's human error or if this is a mechanical issue maintenance issue but it just shows that even if you try and design everything out of something you can still fall foul of it hmm yeah, I, I think human factors are going to be a significant causal factor on this. The the flap lever, 
so this is a pretty standard center console. Um, this is a, this is what you would find in a typical two-engine turboprop, whether it's an ATR, a Dash Eight, um, even a King Air. Uh, to be honest, even if even a, a smaller light twin, these are the kinds of controls that you would find, um, Matt, and to everybody that's looking at the uh, at the at the picture there. Um, I, what I don't know, I haven't, I've never flown an ATR, so I don't know if there's a, a gate, a lift gate for the flap lever, um, or for that matter, the condition levers. The, what I, what I can't comprehend is how you could move both condition levers to the feather position, thinking that it is flaps, a flap setting, um, and and is that as I say again? I, I, obviously, we, oh. you know, we shouldn't be speculating or anything like that. But is that is that because it's essentially two levers versus one, so it would feel very different, or it's two versus one, and and it's also just not the same position. You you would you would think that a training captain and a captain upgrade are used to that muscle memory of where to reach yeah. for these kinds of things. Mm. Um, so it, I, I guess kind of to continue the explanation, what what was supposed to happen on this visual approach was that the pilot flying the left seat called for a flat position for an increased flat, flat position. What was supposed to happen is move the, the white lever down to the next detent. Um, instead of that happening, what happened was the two condition levers. So what that's doing is changing the pitch of the propellers to from a fine position to a, to a coarse position, or in this case, a feather position. That means if you if you imagine um, swimming right in a swimming pool, yeah, uh, and you have to swim with your with your palms so they grab water, right? So that's the that's the position of the propellers as they're going through there. They're trying to grab water um, by moving them into the feather position. It would it it is changing the angle of the blades where it is in line with the air, or in this case, it'd be like trying to swim through a swimming pool with your both your hands and knife hand position. So you're not actually grabbing any water, therefore you are not going anywhere. You're not propelling yourself forward. That's the same thing that's happening with these propellers is instead of grabbing the air, they are in a position that is in line with the airflow, therefore they're not making any thrust. So once they pulled those levers back to the feather position, and did not recognize the error because then there was another after this was going on the the the, the airplane's trying to tell them hey they're, i'm not making power the engines are spooling down um then there was another movement of the flap position so now you're you're in a terrible situation where no matter what you do with the power with the gas pedal it's not going to make any power because you're neutral it's like if you're driving a stick shift or a manual car, you've just put the the transmission into neutral by putting those propellers into the feather position. You could you could slam on the gas all you wanted to. It's not gonna it's not gonna go anywhere because because it's not grabbing air. And then by moving the flap lever to a, a further position of, of 25 or 30 degrees, whatever they moved it to, it's basically you're on the highway, you're trying to go forward, you're slamming on on the gas pedal to try to go forward, but you've put the car into neutral. And at the same time, you've now just hit the brake. So instead of wow. going forward, you are essentially bringing yourself to a halt, which 
in the air it doesn't quite work so indeed um, uh, like sam's actually saying he's saying so they were they actually went to the fuel shut off uh, position on the condition levers uh, basically no power period full stop that's it just you yeah know, you're sort of and 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 they were at 700 feet above the ground so there was no time to, to fix like the correct error. it right okay yeah, yeah. so you, uh, again if, it, if you did something like this say for example as again i apologize for my naivety here but uh, uh, again if you if you did this at sort of say fifteen thousand feet for example as part of your sort of like let's say take off because um, that's what they were doing um you, you might have more time to discover the error and put it right but because they were you know less than a, a thousand feet basically you your time is very limited yeah, and the thing that gets me with this is it says that the CVR recorded caution chamber sounding. So why why wasn't anything done about that? It just seems that they ignored the chimes, which to me at low level I'd be thinking, why am I getting these sounds? What's going on? Mm. Yeah. It's I think there's a, there's a lot of unanswered questions with this, isn't yeah. it? And I well, mean, this is do... just a preliminary um, sort of here's what we know sort of so far. Yeah. We're still going. Yeah. I mean, do you think we'll ever really know? I mean, is there enough yeah. data recorded um, to find oh, out exactly what happened? Yeah, the ATR is just like any other modern aircraft. It has a good set of data parameters that it records. So they will have all the data. The BEA, which the French investigators will be involved as well, um, because it's a French-built aircraft, and Airbus and Aerospatial will be involved because they own the aircraft's type. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no, we will, we will find out. Oh, that's good. That's good. It's a bit of a, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, we could go on and on, obviously, about this, um, but we'll we'll perhaps uh, draw a line under it for now, and hopefully, we'll get a, a further update in the coming months. I guess this is not going to be a quick uh, investigation, is it? Not when something like this has happened. Um, no. But uh, before we move on to the next story, which I think is with Armando, if I remember correctly, I forgot to mention. Of course, we are one host missing this evening. Carlos is not here at the moment. He's actually doing uh, doing the radio at the moment. Uh, some of you, I think, uh, have got uh, Carlos on in the background while he does an 80s show. He has sent me this picture, uh, so he's watching us while he's doing doing the radio. Bless. So he's doing an 80s show. So if you want to, uh, you can't catch up on Peter UK. Uh, sorry, you can you can catch up on Peter UK. You can't on the radio. So if you, <laughs> I won't be at all offended if you want to go and listen to Carlos. Uh, but yeah, anyway, that's why he's not here. Uh, that's why he's he's doing that. He's doing doing me a big favour basically. So uh, we thought we'd change it, and I'd be in the studio for a change. There you go. Well, just, just to mix the two the two shows, we should see how many times we can work Cindy Lopper into this aviation <laughs> podcast. That's one. Okay, very good. Yeah, absolutely. If it weren't for the fact that we get a copyright strike for me tuning in to Carlos, then uh, then we might we might listen to a link or two from him. But uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, he's also on tomorrow from ten a.m. By the way, if you're, if you you're do mention it time after time, we do. Yes, absolutely. Yes, uh, indeed. That's, uh, that's two. That's yeah. two. <laughs> see what you did there. I missed that. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> very good. Very, very good, very good. Armando, please, uh, please rescue us <laughs> from your aviation news source, The Guardian. Hey, oh, it's better than the Sun. It's better than the Sun. Yeah, that's true. Or the Daily Mirror, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so Air India has agreed to buy 470 airplanes from uh, manu manufacturing rivals Airbus and Boeing at the same time. The biggest order for the, of new passenger aircraft in history, uh, as Air India bets that it's uh, on its rapid expansion of air travel in uh, Asia. So the airline, which is owned by Indian conglomerate Tata & Sons, uh, 
will buy 250 airplanes from Airbus and 220 airplanes from uh, Boeing, according to a statement put out by its chairman last Tuesday. So Airbus is going to deliver 210 of its narrow body A320 aircraft, uh, 40 of its A350, and uh, Boeing will provide 190 narrow body 737 MAX jets, plus 20 787 Dreamliners and 10 777 wide-body aircraft. So wow. pretty, pretty diverse order here. Uh, the Air India deals together thought to be the largest in the industry uh, are part of a turnaround plan by Tata, which is the owner of car makers uh, Jaguar, Land Rover, and uh, Tetley's T. That's a thing, right? Hello, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so apparently... I prefer Yorkshire back... tea myself, but... Uh... <laughs> the best British... Uh, uh, quote that I've ever heard is, well, the British Empire wasn't built on Lipton's tea, was it? No, no um, good point. Yes. <laughs> when one asks for Lipton's. Anyways, um, Tata took control of Air India back in 2022. Uh, the aircraft, the aircraft, the, air, the airline was actually founded in 1932 as Tata Airlines uh, before it was nationalized in 1953. I actually didn't know that. Um, now, of course, in recent years, we've talked about it on the show. It fell into some financial dis difficulties. But uh, these deals were placed... You know, this is a huge deal uh, with support from some of the highest political levels. Indian Prime Minister uh, Modi, French President Emmanuel Macron, uh, they joined the uh, the Airbus chief executive and some executives from Boeing, uh, uh, all in this announcement. And even the U.S. President uh, Joe Biden got involved into uh, acknowledging that this order had had happened. So well, one uh, might one might go so far as to say that they're showing their true colors. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's three. <laughs> um, I'm anyway, sorry. so I'm sorry. The, no, no, this is great. And, and specifically to the UK, um, why, why this is great. And it's a great deal for for the UK industry as well as the US industry. But um, all the wings for the Airbus aircraft are going to be produced in uh, in Wales. So oh, wow. and the, and of course, the, the Trent engines are for the A350 are are manufactured by Rolls Royce and Darby Darby. Very cool. Uh, obviously, Air India sees something, you know, of a of a rise in travel in in Asia. So, yeah, and and, and as I say, I think the the headline uh, that I love the most on this story is to say it's like literally breaking records with the amount of aircraft that they're they're getting their hands on. Are we are we surprised? And again, it's the naivety out, coming coming out here. Are we surprised that they've opted for both Airbus and Boeing as opposed to like? choosing one manufacturer for example uh, i don't see the point in a narrow body fleet of having a mixed fleet really i agree when both aircraft well one not the american one is far more capable than the other right um <laughs> i mean uh, i mean obviously there are other airlines uh, airliners available of course um <laughs> than just the airbus that you love so very much it just, uh, <laughs> incre it just increases costs overall really. yeah and, and that's the bit i don't i don't get really as you say because it's just uh you know let's be honest we'll use ryanair as an example but we can also use um um easyjet as an example i mean there's a reason why they've chosen one particular manufacturer and variants thereof um you know because with it with, it's like a319s and a321s and a320s isn't it with 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 easyjet with ryanair it's basically the the 73 um you know the two variants thereof the one whichever the max is now called i get very confused the dash 800 or whatever it is um 
they call it the Dash 8200 or something like that yeah absolutely um, but again there's a reason why they do that isn't it because you you know it, it's an abundance of spares at your various maintenance hubs if you see what I mean as where if you've got yeah. you know I can't really as you say with a, a narrow body fleet I can't see the point in in having like some of it which is Boeing some of it w- which is which is Airbus I mean Armando perhaps you can offer a, a, a reasonable explanation as to why they're like I feel almost like they're hedging their bets <laughs> well I mean it is just an order so uh, 1986 they could just have a change of heart mm-hmm. or as or as Bill says um, such a big order money changes everything True. That's four. That's four Cindy Lauper references. <laughs> You're missing them all, Matt. I know. I'm oh, sorry. No, yes, it's, it's a bit embarrassing. I am on the radio, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, yeah. This is uh, this, this is this is fair, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I mean, a great news that that you know money is being spent. Let's be honest. You know, to to be especially after like the pandemic and all that kind of thing. It's sort of nice to see things sort of returning back to sort of well, almost better perhaps than, than than they were before in terms of uh, uh, sort of like flying numbers and, th- and stuff. And I know Ryanair are pretty much fully back to, to their original capacity pre-pandemic. So, uh, um, yeah, sort of good news, really. Well, and you can use like Emirates for an example as well now. You know, I mean, they, they were doing, they cancelled like flights into Stansted. They stopped doing those, but, the, you know, they're now looking at doing three um, three a day potentially. Uh, very very soon going into Stansted, you know. So it's everything's all sort of bouncing back. So yeah, not surprised. Yeah, and and uh, m- you know, Mark in the chat room asks about training issues. There's there's plenty of airlines that have mixed mixed fleets of Boeing and Airbus. Um, uh, wow, great timing, Matt. Um, yeah, it, you know, it, it has been done before. You you probably and we're, we actually have a story a little bit later about training facilities. Um, but you 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 do take on an additional risk by having a mixed fleet, both uh, from a training standpoint and from a maintenance standpoint, but they may be, you know, plenty of airline airlines do it. Um, and it's you know, perfectly normal. This is the most financial sense. I, but you know, but I don't, I don't think they're, they're financial dummies. So there, there must be a reason <clears throat> could be politics, but there must be a reason why they went this path. Yeah. True, true. Okay, well, we'll move on to the next story then, and uh, this one's uh, well, quite a quite a serious one, really. Uh, the headline is NTSB subpoenas American crew involved in near collision at JFK. The source on this one is FlyingMag.com, uh, and uh, it says on Friday the National Transportation Safety Board subpoenaed three American airline pilots involved in last month's near catastrophic runway incursion at New York's uh, JFK airport. Uh, the January 13 incident swept headlines across the country when the American Airlines Boeing 777 crossed an active runway without clearance from air traffic control, causing a Delta Boeing 737 to abort its takeoff. The two aircraft narrowly averted disaster, coming within 1,400 feet of each other, slightly more than what was previously reported. While the American Airlines crew complied with written testimony, they refused to be interviewed by investigators as their statements would be recorded for later transcription. 
According to the NTSB report, investigators attempted to interview the American Airlines crew three different times. In its preliminary reports, the investigative agency wrote NTSB has determined that this investigation requires that the flight crew interviews be audio recorded and transcribed by a court reporter to ensure the highest degree of accuracy, um, completeness and efficiency. As a result of the crew's repeated unwillingness to proceed with a recorded interview, subpoenas for their testimony have been issued. Uh, however, the Allied Pilots Association, the APA, the union that represents the American pilots, has backed the crew's decision. APA argued that NTSB interviews have historically been done using a uh, stenographer uh, or with investigators taking their own notes. In a statement, APA wrote, we join in the goal of creating an accurate record of all interviews conducted in the course of an investigation. However, we firmly believe the introduction of electronic recording devices into witnesses' interviews is more likely to hinder the investigation process than it is to improve it. Not only may the recording of interviews lead to less candid responses from those witnesses who may choose to proceed under such requirements, but the existence and potential availability of interview recordings upon conclusion of an investigation will tend to lead many otherwise willing crew members to elect not to participate in interviews at all. Uh, either outcome would not serve to advance the goal of conducting effective investigations in order to promote aviation safety. The union went on to say that the interviews should be fact-finding and not uh, adversarial. Other findings in the preliminary report stated that the air traffic controller at uh, KJFK was alerted to the American aircraft crossing the wrong runway via a surveillance system, airport surface detection equipment Model X, uh, that's the ASDE-8, uh, sorry, X, the NTSB was able to attain recorded statements by the controllers involved and written testimony from the Delta crew, which the agency deemed sufficient. Unfortunately, cockpit voice recorders from both aircraft involved were overwritten. Oh. That's a bit of a surprise. Following the incident, the American jet continued uh, its route to London, England, and the voice recordings were taped over as the devices typically capture a two-hour loop. Limitations on the cockpit voice recorders, as demonstrated in the recent JFK incident, has prompted the NTSB to issue recommendations to the FAA. On the 7th of February, the NTSB chair, Jennifer Holmdy, uh, addressed the subject during a hearing on the upcoming FAA a reauthorization bill in her testimony she said we issued recommendations to the FFA uh, to the FAA uh, to address the need to install CVRs with a minimum 25 hour recording capabilities on all newly manufactured airplanes uh, required to have a CVR and to retrofit these CVA CVRs uh, on existing aircraft required to have flight recorders American Airlines says it is cooperating with the NTSB investigation according to the NTSB the pilots have seven days to respond to the subpoena now uh, forgive my again here, here comes the naivety so a subpoena is like a like a, a court calling almost is, is, is yeah, that right cor correct yeah okay um, so I mean sort of part of me is a little bit surprised I mean is this um, I mean I, I sort of feel like uh, recording the interviews certainly here Recording interviews has been very commonplace 
uh, for a very very long time even if there's you know especially like if it's a police investigation uh, in fact they're almost all recorded uh, video recorded these days uh, when any kind of interview under caution if you like is is taking place so is this unusual that um um, as I say, because I, I sort of kind of feel like uh, the you know recording of the interview would have been normal anyway. I think there's some, in my opinion, beef between the unions and the NTSB here. Right. Because I see no reason. We in aviation, we work in a just culture, and that means you won't be penalised if you tell the truth. Everything that happened, complete error, unless you were negligent right and that's the way we're always taught from, from right from starting aviation it's all about whatever happens we need to find out what happens because then we can stop it happening again and these interviews are key to that and i really don't understand what difference it makes between being written down recorded videoed you know audio i don't see what the difference is if they just tell their side of the story and just let the investigators get on with it but I don't know how it works in in the states when it comes to that. <clears throat> Unfortunately, we've got somebody who does. Yeah. Well, I, I, so a union, and and to be clear, the union is that the Allied Pilots Association (APA) <clears throat> that represents American Airlines pilots. Um, the the union has a duty to protect the pilots to the utmost um, extent, and they will take if you think about it almost as a defense lawyer right so and a lot of this process was dramatized in in uh the sully movie mm. right the miracle on the mm. hudson um where they showed this really adversarial uh controversial uh hearing between the pilots and and the ntsb and uh it's not really like that uh, it's it. I, I guess it could have an an air of of adversity to it, but the union's job is to protect the pilots to the maximum extent. They, if they have the ability to negotiate something like this, where for the protection of the pilots, if you don't want to do a recorded interview, because nowadays you know, right, everything's going to get out with social media, with the way the news cycle, everything. Um, so so the least amount of damage that they can get away with would be just a, a written uh, interview, a transcribed interview with the pilots. I think that's a, that's a pilot protection thing. It, you know, we've talked about the what happened. We kind of know what happened already. Everybody that's a professional aviator, I think understands how this could go wrong and, and how they ended up there. Sure. We can sit here in, in our seats and say, Oh my gosh, you know, how, how could they possibly let this happen? Um, but, but true accidents do happen. And, and that's, that's what happened here. Whether there was some negligence, there was some faulty training, maybe there was some inappropriate procedures in the cockpit at the time, you know that that's the kind of stuff that they're going to get to but but like john jester saying in the in the chat room the uh the union's purpose is to protect the pilots now the the problem that i have with this is the optics right so they are the optics of this and 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 armchair quarterbacks and 
and and people just on Facebook are going to be like, <laughs> just own up to it, yeah, right? Yeah. And you know, why why aren't they just coming out and saying it was you know mea culpa? Uh, well, that's just not the case, right? If you didn't have to do that, we we have a due process here in 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 the industry, just as we do in the court systems, where you, you know you're gonna you're gonna try to defend yourself until it's proven that that um, that there was something negligent, if if anything, but. Um, yeah, you know, and and again, another comment from John. John, John really is is closer to this than I am, um, because I I have never flown out of one twenty one uh, airline with a with a union, but he says that there's a high probability of legal action that the pilots could be sued, uh, and then there's this this ASAP process, which is a, a a safety program where they may have to be processing all of the information before you know before the interviews happen and, and they're trying to get all their ducks in a, in a row but i think with the media exposure there's a there's a there's an extra pressure to get a uh, an answer to this when they're the union's probably trying to slow everything down so yeah it's um i mean it's i mean it, we're very lucky that this isn't a more serious incident. I mean, I know it's a serious incident. I mean, but potentially many lives could have been lost as a result of this this incident. So I guess you know every cloud. I guess you know, and and the important thing is, is of course um, because of the processes in place, things will be learnt from this. So you know, I mean, it's you know, fortunately, it's had a a positive outcome, if you like. Nobody's lost their life, um, you know, and and lessons will be learned. Yeah, and but. You know the chat room. I, I think I agree with the chat room. The media, it's it's such a, it's so fresh in everybody's mind that we want justice now. Uh, this this kind of stuff takes time, takes time to process. Absolutely. It uh, we have to slow the process down. You know, were the pilots at fault? Maybe, um, but but you still have to give them the chance to defend themselves. Give the chance to the NTSB to investigate and really come up with with a, a cause and and a, mm. and a recommendation before you can really prosecute somebody. So I, yeah. I, while I don't agree with the optics, I do agree with the whole slow everything down. Let's, let's figure out what happened. Do first. it right. Do it right. Yeah. You know, cause you only get, you only really get one chance at this, don't you? Because, Correct. you know, if you put out the wrong information, people will lose their, their livelihoods and their careers off the back it's, of it. And if they're at fault, that's completely right, obviously. But as much as we love all of this flight track and software, this yeah. is another side of it, isn't it? Yeah. It wouldn't have been so widely known mm. if... Yeah. I, mean, I won't name any particular companies, but we all know them. It, it's got its time and its place, but mm. in, like you say, uh, Armando, everybody just wants answers now. Mm. They want justice now. So this stuff takes a long time to work yeah. through. It does. Yeah, and if, and if we didn't have the, the media, then you don't know. Yeah. Sisters of Al Sisters yeah. of Avalon, nineteen ninety six. Cindy Lauper. <laughs> he's good at this. Uh, uh, <laughs> right, uh, let's move on then. I can't believe we're only on story number four. Uh, <laughs> Andy, you're up next. Yes, here we go. This is uh, Virgin Atlantic suspends services to Pakistan. So Virgin Atlantic, a popular UK-based airline, has announced the suspension of its services to Pakistan due to ongoing concerns about the country's aviation safety. The decision, which was made after a thorough review of the airline's operations in the country, comes as disappointment to many travellers. 
The airline has operated, no, sorry, has been operating flights between Heathrow and Islamabad since December 2020 after a 13-year hiatus from the market. The move was widely seen as a sign of confidence in Pakistan's aviation industry and the country's economic potential. However, Virgin Atlantic's decision to dis suspend services comes after the UK Civil Aviation Authority, the CAA, raised concerns about Pakistan's aviation safety standards. The CAA issued a no-time in early February 2023 advising UK airlines to avoid flying in and out of certain airports in Pakistan due to safety concerns. Virgin Atlantic has stated that the safety and security of its customers and crew are of paramount importance and the decision to suspend services to Pakistan was made after a thorough review of the situation and consultation with relevant authorities. The suspension of Virgin Atlantic service to Pakistan is likely to have an impact on the country's tourism industry and its overall economic growth. Pakistan has been working to promote itself as a tourist destination in recent years and the resumption of flights by major airlines like Virgin was seen as a positive step in this direction. The Pakistani government has expressed disappointment at Virgin Atlantic's decision to suspend service to the country and has pledged to work with the airline and other international carriers to address the safety concerns raised by the CAA. So yeah, there are still other airlines flying there, such as uh, Pakistan International Airlines, British Airways and Emirates, and they all continue to operate their services to Pakistan. So what do we think is what, what behind the decision for them to, to do that, though? I mean, as you say, if other airlines, you know, and let's, let's be honest, BA can be a little bit uh, nervous, shall we say, and, and mm. we'll pull a route with little explanation. I mean, um, are Virgin Atlantic onto something? Who knows? Was it making money? Possibly, yeah, that's true. Um, that is true. Armando, any thoughts? Uh, I mean, I've flown, I'm not equating it to Africa, but I've flown into some areas where the radar service wasn't entirely 100% all the time, where air traffic control, you know, questionable training and procedures there. So um, it could be a money thing. It could be a, a, a no kidding money versus risk is it just too risky to operate in there at the time uh, maybe they're seeing some trends um, maybe they've had previous reporting or previous experiences where it's just not it's the money's not worth the risk uh, to them because as we know one one aircraft mishap could can yeah. significantly affect not just lives but but the airline and the industry Oh yeah, one air, one uh, hull loss. That's it. You could sink the entire airline. Virgin's a pretty yeah. small airline overall. Mm. It is, yeah. Certainly in comparison to you know the sort of, you know people like Emirates and and BA and and that kind of thing. Yeah, very true, very true. So we'll move on to the next story. And Armando, it's with you. Yeah, this is from the business desk dot com uh leisure airline jet two which we love we talked about them on the on the show quite a bit they've opened a new 8.5 million pound training center in cheetle is that how it's pronounced cheetle cheetle yep 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 near manchester uh so the new center builds on the success of the leeds based company's uh first training center near bradford which opened in 2014 and in addition to creating about a dozen full-time positions the new purpose-built training center enables jet two to underpin its growth ambitions by training thousands of its employees every year. Now, the state-of-the-art center is going to provide a bespoke center of excellence for new and current pilots, engineers, cabin crew, and ground operations colleagues. Three-story facility is going to house uh, full and fixed-base flight simulators, cabin crew trainer units, 
engineering training devices to enact uh, real life scenarios. High-tech computer-based training rooms. Oh, we love those. Uh, fully, <laughs> fully equipped classrooms and briefing rooms. And, uh, of course, the Leisure Travel Group, which encompasses Jet2 and Jet2 Holidays, has outlined its plans to grow sustainably and expand ex its fleet in line with the demand for package holidays and flights, uh, just like we were talking about this growth in the aviation industry post-COVID pandemic. Um, the, the group has an order for 98 Airbuses, A320s, A321s, uh, which could eventually extend up to uh, 146 aircraft, so an order for 146. Um, obviously, they're very excited about it, and their uh, CEO put out a statement. But these these training facilities, anybody that has an opportunity to visit one of these, it's such an amazing thing. Mm. And and Andy, I don't I don't know what your airline's training facilities I like, but I love I for an av geek, you can totally nerd out over these training facilities the the full motion simulators which we've talked about the fixed base simulators but even the cabin crew simulators uh with the uh the life rafts deployed the the ability to to recreate fire smoke and fumes inside the the cabins uh un, unruly passengers they kind of they train for all these things and it's facilities are really 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 impressive really i would love to to do a tour of yeah. any of these airlines Do you know I, I would i would absolutely love something like that as i say even as uh, even as a sort of like a very mild av geek in comparison to a lot of the people both listening and and on the show i appreciate i'm the anomaly here but even i would find that absolutely fascinating because well, uh people would people sort of forget how much training is involved in doing these things and i and i don't mean this in a derogatory term but even like in terms of what the cabin crew have to do i mean you sort of like i thought we've said this before haven't we it's like i mean uh that they're not there to serve you drinks and all that kind of thing their role is key in your safety and that you know okay you know that there might be a small part which involves doling stuff out of a trolley but the rest of it is all about making sure that the cabin is secure um looking after you making sure you're safe taking care of you if something goes wrong uh, and on all this kind of thing and uh, as you say the training regimes and stuff that that they go through and these simulators that that we're referring to here i would i would love to get a, a tour of, of something like that it'd be just so cool well, I've actually been in that building because the story's not quite true. That used Ooh. to be a sim centre beforehand. That picture that you put up had a different simulator in that beer, and I flew that many times. Oh! Yeah, it used to be a <laughs> CAE's sim centre. They used to have a one BAE 146 there and a 757. Oh, wow, okay. A couple of A320s, yeah. So Jet2 took it over after CAE pulled out during the um, pandemic because yeah. we used to go there. It used to be great. It was around the corner from work. It was brilliant. Yeah, I bet. So okay. would, would you call it just... Lies, not, not, not lies. 1993, <laughs> half, oh. half full of stars. <laughs> very good, very good. Just, 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 he's, he's too good at this game, isn't he? Uh, I just hope they have a change of heart about it. Oh, I forgot. Know? Right, okay, we're moving on to the next story then. And uh, the headline uh, is airline passenger praised for refusing to give up special seat to couple. Well, this wasn't Nev, was it? Probably, yeah, absolutely. EdinburghLive.co.uk is the source on this one. An airline passenger has been met with near-universal praise after opting to turn down a request to swap with an elderly couple. The flyer had paid extra money for legroom on the long-haul flight when he was asked to switch with the pair, to which he said no. The man uh, took to Reddit, where he was applauded for his move. Um, and my screen is just frozen. That's always very helpful, 
isn't it? Uh, during the 12-hour flight, the man admitted to receiving evil glares from passengers after refusing to move from the seat he paid for, reports The Mirror. Oh, well, that's good news, isn't it? Uh, captioning the post, the Reddit user wrote, Old couple tried to take seats on a plane. The man explained, saw a few plane seat-related posts, so I thought I would add my story. A few years ago, my significant other and I planned a three-month trip around the world. Our first flight was from New Zealand, LA. Uh, so it was 12 to 13 hours. Uh, we booked and paid for our flights and added the premium economy seats as I was six foot three and wanted the extra legroom. Cost an extra $60, that's 50 pounds. Uh, we get on the plane, find our seats, and there is an older couple sitting there, mid 70s. I asked them if they got confused with their seat numbers. They hadn't. I show them my ticket and seat number and point to the name on the screen. Uh, they then asked me to just sit in their seat, which were 10 rows back with no legroom. After the elderly couple refused to move from their seats, the man demanded that they return uh, to their original seats as he had paid extra. The man added, I got some evil eyes from other people on the flight. I paid for extra legroom and I needed it. Flocking to the comments section, Reddit users shared their opinions about the controversial ordeal. One person wrote, I have no idea why other people who paid extra for legroom would glare at this guy. Meanwhile, someone else said, there isn't a two-hour flight where you buck up for the good of old people, which... <laughs> is not right given the social experience that is flying. I wouldn't care if it was a two hour flight and there is there, there is still the principle of the matter, but I may cave depending on my mood. 12 to 13 hours is no joke. There is no giving in. You move these people or the plane doesn't take off, they added. Now that's interesting. So I'm gonna throw the question out um, to uh, both of you. Andy, if you were in that situation, I know you're not six foot two, but you're not short. And you paid for extra leg room, um, and somebody else was sitting in those seats that you paid extra money for. I realise you're from the north, so I think I know what's coming. Uh, what would you do in that situation? <laughs> well, I'm only two inches shorter than that, and oh, I would kick him out of the seat. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think I, I've, I've paid me money. Yeah. Just don't try and chance it. It's not your seat. If you wanted the seat, pay for it. Well, exactly, and especially as it sounds like there was like sort of name boards with their with their name on it. Now, I'm I, I'm not quite sure where we're going to go with this one because Armando is the nicest human being I think I've ever met. So, in, uh, in this scenario, what would you do? <laughs> you know, while I am always as nice as I can be, respectful of a, one elders and all that kind for of thing, a yeah. twelve to thirteen hour flight from. <laughs> New Zealand to LA if I paid uh well whether it was sixty dollars or fifty pounds or a mm. hundred pounds, I, I think I would respectfully ask that couple to tap into their unconditional love and move <laughs> to their original seats because I, I paid for it. Yeah, that's now, true. I, I would actually no I've changed my mind. I would give them those seats if I was given an upgrade. Oh, I see. Right. Okay. I take the yeah. upgrade and they can keep those seats. <laughs> Gonna give me an upgrade. Get yourself back down, back down the back. Is that? I mean, I know some airlines gives that kind of latitude to the to the cabin crew. Um, I guess that would depend on the airline where they where they whether they can do that. Well, in capacity, for, I suppose as yeah. well. They may not have had room to sort of move move someone else there. But uh, I must admit, I do. I don't know. I mean, it's just like. I'm the first one. Like, if you look, if it looks like you've more or less boarded and they're starting to shut the doors, 
do you know what i mean while they're while they're sort of busy faffing around doing all their safety things that i don't understand i would if there were better seats a little bit further away from me or whatever once we were all loaded and the doors were shut i would probably ask the cabin crew if it would be all right if i moved to a seat that had got slightly better legroom if once you're loaded you know and it's and it's apparent that nobody else is there but i don't think i would be so bold as to literally sit in someone else's seats and then say well why don't you go to my seat 10 rows back yeah like listen i'm all about pity and yeah, yeah, respecting yeah. elders and stuff but not all old people are nice are senile <laughs> right like they may have they were known what they were doing yeah, i can't i personally can't wait to be 80 years old and do whatever i want i want to go out in nothing but a trench coat <laughs> and yell at kids Lovely. right like yep. i want to yep. sit yep. on my front porch and yep. just yell at, at cars driving yep. too fast wait yourself uh, and not, you not ask any now. questions or <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I do do that now. Oh, right. Actually. Okay. What, no. wait yourself? or the... <laughs> I'm semi-retired. Um, Love it. I, yeah, man. I don't, I don't know. I, I, they were obviously I, trying it on, weren't they? I mean, there's, there's, there's no two way about it. But yeah. it's like, you know, it's, it's one of those, isn't it? It's a fair cop, Gov. If, if the owner of the seat comes and it's like, and, and they don't like say, oh, that's all right. You stay there. I'll go. You know, if they say, can I sit in my seat, please? I'm six foot two. Uh <laughs> You know, it doesn't matter about it. You, you. You have that seat on your ticket. Yeah. get out. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, presumably he would have been he would have been a hundred percent supported by the cabin crew on this. Well, and you could always put a safety spin on it. It'd be like, look, if something actually happens to this aircraft, I want to be in my seat so my family know it was me. Don't you want to be in yours so you can be identified? Oh, oh. Mm. wow! Oh, I, love, I love that. <laughs> stick stick that in the repertoire, everyone. I, oh, think, look, I think we've all. I actually. Micah just said the exact same thing in the chat room, and I beat, I beat him to it by about 10 seconds. seconds. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. Yeah, absolutely. No, that, that, that is great news. Um, so, yeah, I think, I, think, I think it's more or less unanimous. Um, I think uh, we would be telling them to, to bugger off, frankly, and go and sit in their proper seats. I think that's what we'd be doing. <laughs> I've just realised drinking and me is not a good idea. Uh, who knows what could happen before the end of the show? Well, uh, <laughs> listen, this this next story is uh, it's not even a Cindy Lauper quote. Absolutely miraculous. So, oh, Andy, yeah, you've got this ah. next one. Yeah, so this is from the independent.co.uk. Uh, pilots miraculously walk away unharmed after Boeing 737 crash in Western Australia. I was flabbergasted when I saw this. Uh, a flight crew has walked away with only minor injuries after a Boeing 737 crashed in Australia on Monday with one aviation analyst calling it simply amazing. The emergency services uh, aircraft had been tackling wildfires in Fitzgerald's River National Park outside Perth when it was downed in the area. It makes it sound like it was shot down, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> uh, flight November 619 Sierra Whiskey, operated by aerial firefighting company Coulson Aviation, had taken off from Bustleton Airport at 3.32pm when the crash occurred less than an hour later. The reason for the crash is still unclear at present. In a statement, uh, Coulson Aviation said both pilots had walked away from the accident before being medically assessed. There were no other crew members on board. The aircraft had two on board at the time of the accident and both pilots walked away from the accident and have been medically assessed. Our thoughts and our immediate concern is for those team members and their families. We are very grateful to the two team members of Tanker 139 uh, that they are safe. We are offering all the support we can to our local and international crews. We are also grateful for the support being provided by our firefighting and aviation industry colleagues in Western Australia. I think that was a statement from Western Australian Police. 
Uh, again, it just reiterates that they were retrieved from the uh, crash site by helicopter and were taken to hospital. Uh, according to Flight Radar 24, the plane had climbed to 29,000 feet after takeoff and then descended to about 700 feet, as usual, in order to douse the bushfires before it got into trouble. Uh, yeah, again, talking about it was simply amazing. The fact that the two pilots walked away from the accident is simply amazing, considering all of those circumstances. And the ATSB are conducting investigations into the crash. It is phenomenal that a 737 passenger airline, essentially, has crashed and people have walked away from it. Uh, yeah, I can't get my head around that. That's incredible. And very, very lucky. And looking at the photo, I mean, look, I mean, the, the, the photographs here. I mean, I've got two photographs of the actual crash site. I mean, uh, admittedly, obviously, this is obviously post-fire, isn't it? I mean, because there was obviously a, a fire yeah. when, when you know, and it, so I mean, it, you know, this is not, this is not the state it was when they were escaping the aircraft. Obviously, this is this is post-fire, but even so, to for both crews crew members to just walk away from that i mean that is just i mean is it because they've managed to get it down fairly gently i guess and well it looks know. like the tail's broken if you look at that picture that you've got up there where it's just lying there mm. the tail is at a slightly jaunty angle to the rest of the body true true it looks like it's it's come down pretty flat and just taken the tail off right but who knows i mean to drop from 700 feet is not that far either no i guess um, and yeah, and we don't know the we don't know the speed at which they yeah. were going. They may have just dropped. Uh, they may have been light. They may have been able to fly it, um, essentially into the ground. Right. I mean, we're we're kind of trained to do that. To, I mean, we certainly don't train for controlled flight into train, but this is part of the hazard. I'm sure these guys are very very well trained, very experienced in what they do, and whatever it is that happened in this situation, uh, I would like to think that they 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 flew it to the ground yeah. tried to make a low energy uh, impact and uh and i couldn't believe it when i saw this happen and and i saw a video of them just walking out of the ambulance walking themselves not a scratch on them into the emergency room uh, was just a uh, amazing to me i mean both of these guys are i'm sure singing i'm gonna be strong yeah, I, I would like to think that both of them went away and did the lottery as well. Yeah, I, I was think, just about to say the same thing, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, that, is, that is beyond incredible. Uh, by the way, I didn't mention, of course, we haven't got Nev with us this week either. Uh, I've just received this picture. This is from seat 1A um, on the A321 where he's repositioning for the next part of his trip while he's in the States. He did tell me earlier where he was going, but I've forgotten. Uh, you may rem you may be able to find it, uh, Armando. But, uh, yeah. I think he was going from Dallas out west somewhere. Yeah. But absolutely. I like to see that he's on American Airlines. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. He's on American Airlines, and he's got, uh, as I say, plenty of leg room there. I think he'll be all right, won't he? Yeah. Uh, I, I, don't think, yeah well, I don't think he'd have had people sitting in his seat incorrectly. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think 1A on an American A321 is not the same as no. 1A on a no. on a BA aircraft but <laughs> he'll do sorry. he'll survive yeah. I'm sure <laughs> yeah he'll he'll soldier on no doubt yeah <laughs> love it <laughs> he'll still get some food maybe I, I, I can't wait to hear his experience on uh, yeah the the food creed it's not caviar by any means but right. actually okay. I will say American Airlines does have some really good meals uh, I just recently I, I got upgraded and it was a really nice uh, like smoked salmon uh, carpaccio type thing on, oh, on first nice. class so Nice, so, nice. I must okay. say, it's, not, it's not BA, but it's it's not terrible. 
Okay, we'll move on to the next story then. I'll take this one, if that's okay with everyone. Uh, and it is uh, Flight Global is where this one's come from. Uh, it's FedEx and South End, uh, Southwest Jets involved in a close call at Austin. It's obviously one of those shows today, isn't it? Uh, avi uh, US aviation authorities are investigating an investigation in Austin on the 4th of February involving a Southwest Airlines jet being cleared for takeoff as a FedEx cargo. Now, I actually heard the audio on this one. In fact, I think, is it the audio that we've got on this? Uh, let me have a quick look because uh, we might use that for telling the story. Uh, yes, it is. It's the audio we've got on this. Um, the, the FedEx Boeing 767-300ER freighter descended as low as 150 feet before breaking off its approach due to traffic on the runway according to the Federal Aviation Administration and flight data from Flight Aware. A Boeing 767 cargo plane operated by FedEx discontinued its landing Saturday at Austin uh, is it Bergstrom uh, International yep. Airport after an air traffic controller cleared a Boeing 737 operated by Southwest Airlines to depart ahead of the FedEx airplane, the FAA says. The incident comes several weeks after a serious similar event involving two jets at New York's John F. Kennedy International Airport, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, the, in, uh, the latest incident involves FedEx Flight 1432, a 767 with registration November 297 Foxtrot Echo and Southwest Flight 707, uh, 708, sorry, which was a 737-700 registration registered November 7827 Alpha, according to Flight Radar 24 and the FAA. The FedEx jet took off from Memphis that morning at around 6.21 Eastern US time and flew the roughly 486 nautical miles, that's 900 kilometers, to Memphis, flight tracking data shows. At around 6.40 Central US time, when the FedEx freighter was several miles from Austin's airport, controllers cleared its pilots to land on Austin's runway 18 left, the FAA says. Shortly before the FedEx aircraft was due to land, the controller cleared Southwest Flight 708 to depart from the same runway, the FAA says. The pilot of the FedEx airplane discontinued the landing and initiated a climb out. The Southwest aircraft was operating a flight to Cancun. The uh, When clearing the Southwest pilots to take off, a controller notified them of an inbound 76 saying traffic three mile final is a heavy 767 according to an audio recording of radio communications available at liveatc.net. Uh, the 767 pilots then asked again for confirmation to land which a controller granted while notifying them of traffic from the departing 737. Southwest abort someone says. The Southwest 737 took off safely according to the FAA. The agency says it is investigating FedEx Express Flight 1432 from Memphis to Austin, uh, Texas safely landed after encountering an event just before landing at Austin Bergstrom International Airport Saturday morning, FedEx tells Flight Global. As this is an active investigation, please refer your questions to the FAA and the NTSB. Uh, neither Southwest nor the National Transportation Safety Board immediately responded to requests for comment. On the 13th of January 
JFK, a Delta Airlines 737 aborted its takeoff after an American Airlines 777 was crossing the same runway. The FAA and the NTSB said that they were investigating that event also. So I've got some uh, audio here. Um, it's about a minute and a half long. I don't know. We'll, we'll have a listen and see what we can find from this. Um, perhaps, guys, uh, you could sort of comment uh, a little bit on this as we play it out. Approach FedEx 1432 Heavy, passing 17,000 via the Susie, landing south with Juliet. FedEx 1432 Heavy, Austin Project, passing 18 left. I'm showing quarter mile visibility. Made by the FSN, 2400, So explain to me what this is. Is, is this there just sort of like setting up their approach? Yep, and he's telling them what the visibility is at yep. the, on the runway. Uh, we'll plan on flying the Cat 3, so uh, we've got it. So what's a Cat 3? Cat 3's type of approach. Cat 1's normal, need, uh, Cat 2's lower minima again, Cat 3's basically down to zero visibility. Oh. Explosion 3 2 heavy, you can depart Jedi, direct uh, R2, cleared ILS, 1-8 left approach. Direct Jedi, direct R2, cleared the ILS, 1-8 left, that X-1432 heavy. So, um, what I'm sort of, what's the, oh. X-1432, heavy econ tower on 121.0, current RVR is a uh, touchdown 1,400, midpoint 600, roll out 1,800. That's not it's bad, really. is that in meters still? In, uh, and, uh, no, it's in feet. In feet, oh my god, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Uh, so I mean, so that's the uh, the ATC conversation that uh, that was taking place there. Uh, you could hear just at the end there, as I say, there you could hear the shout out for for abort. There. Um, uh, okay. Well, um, is is the audio done for now? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so I think we're going to approach this probably from two different standpoints between U.S. procedures and European procedures, mostly because this would not have happened in Europe. Uh, based on my understanding, but I'll, I'll let Andy talk to that. Um, w here in the U.S., it is it is common practice to clear an aircraft for landing when the runway is still uh, occupied. Uh, it is also common practice to clear multiple aircraft for landing on the same runway uh, where they are in trail of each other. Sometimes two, maybe three aircraft have been cleared for landing you've had you've heard the words cleared to land runway one eight left one eight right whatever um and in between those arrivals you are going to have departing air uh, departing aircraft um that are cleared for takeoff so at any given point you you may have three aircraft cleared for landing and one aircraft taking off and another one lining up to to take off so it is common practice now now those separation minima go up they increase when there is reduced visibility such as was uh, this so this is 1200 1200 feet runway visual range uh, runway visibility reporting is is not very much right so you're you're talking less than a quarter of a mile um and when you're doing 120 130 miles per hour that that goes pretty quick and 
there was a there was a, a sort of a, another Swiss cheese. We always talk about the Swiss cheese model when the holes <laughs> line up in the Swiss cheese. But there but there was a, a, a series of errors that happened here. Uh, and, and I will I will preempt this by saying the entire industry has already acknowledged that the FedEx pilots, the FedEx crew, get the gold star and they get the save for the day in this situation. Right. Um, so the, the Southwest aircraft was cleared for um, takeoff on this runway and they were advised there is traffic on a three, three mile final. Now, remember that with a quarter mile visibility, the tower cannot see the runway. They can't see the aircraft taxiing out to the runway. Um, Southwest can't see the traffic on final and FedEx can't see Southwest. Nobody can see anything. Everybody just sees a, a gray, gray outside their window. And um, the Southwest crew, for whatever reason, delayed. Once they were cleared to take the runway, it was it was almost a minute before they started their roll. And again, the tower cannot see this. They they can't see. So because there's a sequence of events that you get used to of maybe a radio call from the tower to Southwest saying, hey, contact departure after they take off. It is possible that the FedEx crew, having not heard that call when it was expected, they questioned, hey, are we clear to land still? Because they haven't heard Southwest get on the, on the roll. The tower says, yes, you are cleared to land. Then they say, Southwest, are you going yet? And then they say, we're rolling. Right. So there's this, this little time lapse that has happened. Um, in the meantime, and we don't know, somebody in the chat room brought up the synthetic vision or the heads-up display uh, capability of the FedEx planes that is, is standard in all their, their aircraft. They may have been able to see the target on the runway. But either way, whatever happened, the FedEx crew took control of the situation and called for a reject was that the right thing to do called to the southwest aircraft to reject their takeoff uh you can say that but if they're past their 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 v1 point that they're not going to be able to but um yeah they, they, and, and and the fedex crew took control of the whole situation they called the reject they called their own go around um in the meantime Southwest was already rolling down the runway. They're both climbing out. There was, uh, it's fortunate that the FedEx was at the end of their flight, so they were lighter. They could outclimb the Southwest that was coming up at them. And, uh, and that's how this whole situation, how a crash was averted. Um, John Jester brought, brought up the uh, ILS critical area at, on this runway at Austin. The ILS critical area is on the other side of the text of the uh, of the runway, so that all the ILS antennas were on the east side. They were on the west side of the runway, so that wasn't a factor. There is no ILS hold or critical area, and and what that means is there's a little bit extra room at the end of the runway when it's low visibility like this that uh, you can't you can't drive your aircraft, you can't taxi your aircraft into because it interferes with the signals. It could uh, of the instrument landing system. Uh, in this particular situation, the ILS equipment was on the other side of the runway. Um, so, so Aaron uh, Pease just asking a question while, while we're, we're talking about Southwest here. He's saying which Southwest would have had to perform an engine run up due to the it, ice before takeoff. It depends what the temperature was. Um, and if they did have to do that, then they should have informed ATC that they were doing it. 
Because it can be up to 30 seconds of uh, around 70% power before you then release and go for takeoff thrust. Especially if, I don't know how it works in the States, uh, we've got rid of the calls in Europe now because of ground movement radars for entering the runway, rolling and airborne. I don't know if they still have to, you still have to do that in the States or not. Um, but I think what John Jester, the point John Jester was making there as well, Ahmed, was that actually keeping the runway clear. That That is critical for an autoland because the aircraft will interfere with the um, the ILS regardless of where the antennas are. The true, aircraft actually, on the runway. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I, this this whole situation. I, I don't know what the temperature was. I don't know if they had to do a run up. There was a missed opportunity for the air traffic controller to say no delay. Um, you know, you're clear for takeoff. Uh, no delay. But, There's. But again, this is low vis. You can't be telling people no delay. You know, in low vis, everything needs to go at a slow pace. And mm -hmm. you know, the the, um, the flow rate is reduced. Or should be. Yeah, like it, it should have been, yeah. Um, to me, it's madness that they cleared them to land with an aircraft on the runway. In general, anyway. The only place I know where I fly to where we get cleared to land with another aircraft in front of us coming to land is Charles de Gaulle. But that's because they use separate runways for landing and takeoff. So they just clear everybody to land. Right, yeah. Um, like 20 miles out. But if you see the aircraft in front lands and doesn't get off the runway, then you mm. go around. But everywhere else in Europe, that would just not happen on um, single single runway operation. So did these guys in Austin, just were they still in the world of its normal operations, we'll just clear them to land? I, I don't know. I don't know how it works. So, I mean, yeah. Mark, Mark is asking an interesting question, which I must admit is one of the ones that's going through my mind here. He's saying, what are the chances of this happening again? Well, hopefully a lot less now. It's been... Highlighted attention, yeah. and surely, especially at that airfield, they'll be looking at their operations in ATC and going, "Right, we need to change this." Yeah, and and I, somebody in the somebody in the chat room brought up how often does Austin deal with these kinds of conditions? I did find the the weather for that uh, situation was winds calm, visibility was one eighth of a mile, runway three six RVR was uh, eighteen hundred, variable twenty four hundred, freezing fog, uh, vertical visibility two hundred. Temperature was minus one, dew point minus one. So oh, it was certainly freezing conditions. They'll definitely be doing a run-up then. Yeah. They'll have 100% done a run-up on the 7.3. That's why it took so long to roll. There you go. So I, so there, the government has already come out and said they are forming a committee after these multiple close calls that we've had. Mm. And they, they will study this and what happened. And... Um, so the answer to Mark's question is, is like Andy said, hope, hopefully less now that it's, but, but that's how we end up with all our rules, right? Like yeah, all true. our yeah. procedures um, they, they in the Air Force, we used to, they were yeah, we used to say to that our, uh, yeah. our regulations are written in blood. That's something mm. that I used to teach to, uh, to our young aviators. Gosh, yeah. That, that, it, it's that. really good that the FedEx decided to go around. Um, yeah. Even if ATC had told them to go around at low level, they still have a lot more inertia and energy than the aircraft on the runway, so they will have climbed out a lot quicker regardless of the weight anyway. Um, and especially in the UK, I spoke to um, an air traffic control at Manchester about this. The aircraft above, they'd have just let them carry on on the missed approach because that, that's been planned for. They've, they've already talked about it. Whereas the aircraft underneath is the one that they'd have just got to, to um, 
immediately turn in another direction. Mm. Yeah, and, and that is what happened. The, the FedEx crew recognized the situation and was able to execute their, their missed approach. Mm. Sam, Sam Dawson mentions uh, about land after in the UK earlier on the messages. I have heard that as well. Again, that is only used in sort of VMC conditions and when it's getting tight. Uh, I've heard it in Manchester a few times if there's an aircraft rolling on the run where we sometimes get told to clear land after that aircraft. Mm. So it's, it's, it's a conditional landing clearance. Right. Which, again, I'm not a big fan of, but if it works, it works. I mean, these are... We don't have that. I, I guess the bit that makes me nervous about all this is, is that um, these are big aircraft that we're dealing with. These aren't little Cessna 150s that are just popping around, not using a lot of space. Do you know what I mean? I mean, that's what that's what's making me nervous about all of this is is the size of these aircraft, and uh, you know I I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here when I say, especially when you're sort of coming into land and that your your visibility is not perhaps uh, what it what you'd like it to be. I mean, if I all right, okay, Concorde is an unusual example, but of course when when you're coming into land, essentially you are coming into land like like that aren't you You sort of like you know you, your nose is essentially up in the air isn't it as you're as you're sort of dropping to come down so your your immediate visibility to what's on the runway may not necessarily be fantastically clear well the aircraft's designed so that you can see at landing attitude okay see very clearly at landing attitude right and actually it's also designed as well for low vis operations more than anything okay your seat and position is designed so that you can see a 90 meter segment in front of you on the runway right um so it is all carefully thought of during the design process because well next time you look at a picture of a flight deck or anything like that you'll notice there's a there's a couple of balls in the center pillar mm. uh, white ones red ones might be black and white on the aircraft and they're designed to set your eye height um, oh, okay. so when you adjust the seat you cover one of the balls with the other one this is particularly in the airbus family as well i can't remember on the 73 um been a so while when, when your eyes are, <laughs> yeah when your eyes are when the white ball's covering the red ball, you're at the correct height to to look down over the um oh, the combing glass right. shield to okay. see the correct segment. Okay. I, d I don't know about the hawker and stuff like that. I mean, is it similar? Yeah, we've got the same. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, I, I'm learning a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking up the the plate, the cat, the cat two. At least the Cat 2 ILS 3.6 right at Austin has uh, even the published missed approach is uh, straight ahead to 1,000 and then okay. a right turn up to 3,000. Wow, okay. Yeah, pretty straightforward. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Okay, well, we'll move on to our last commercial story then. I'm not sure who's got this one. Uh, um, you know what? I'm going to give it to Andy. Let's end on a ha oh, on a high note. I love his <laughs> voice, mostly because my dog is going crazy right now. So. Okay, right, lovely. Okay, Andy, it's with you then. Story number story number eleven, our final story. Eleven or ten? Ten. Uh, well, it, it's it's yeah, it's story number eleven, but we thought it was zero, didn't we? Because we added okay. one Quantus. in the start. Yes, yes, it's the Qantas. It's the Qantas story. Yes, absolutely. This is from AviationSourceNews.com, and this is Qantas auctions off A330 memorabilia ahead of oh. aircraft conversion. Australian flag carrier Qantas has held a charity auction of items from the cabin of an Airbus A330 passenger aircraft before it travels overseas to be converted into a dedicated air freighter. Ooh. 
Uh, aviation enthusiasts were invited to an open house in Qantas's Hangar 96 at Sydney Airport on the weekend to inspect and bid on a number of items from the wide-body aircraft. Items up for grab include a bar cart, exit signs and a business class suite to help ensure as much of the aircraft interior is reused, recycled or repurposed as possible. The auction raised $16,300 for Qantas Pathfinders, a group of current and past Qantas staff which raises funds for NextSense, previously with the Royal Institute for Deaf and Blind Children. The aircraft in question has spent 15 years of safely flying passengers around Australia and overseas. This particular A330, uh, Victor Hotel Echo Bravo Echo, or Kangaroo Valley as it was named, <laughs> will shortly head to Dresden, Germany to be converted into a dedicated freighter and will return to Australia as part of the Qantas Freight Fleet. The conversion will be performed by EFW, that's a specialist joint venture between Airbus and ST Engineering. Conversion work will include full strip-out of the cabin, so the seats, galley, toilets, etc. Replacing the existing cabin floor with a large freighter, sorry, cabin door with a large freighter door and installing a cargo handling system. Uh, Qantas Executive Manager of Freight, Katrina Larratt, said the auction was a fun way to offer enthusiasts their own piece of Qantas history and a creative way to demonstrate Qantas's commitment to cutting waste to landfill. We're really pleased to give people this unique chance to own a piece of Qantas history and raise money for a great charity. It's also a nice way to highlight our commitment to minimising waste as part of our sustainability focus, and that's a very important part of all airlines these days. Mm. Uh, Kangaroo Valley has done us proud by carrying millions of passengers safely around Australia, Asia and the Pacific for 15 years. In its new adventure as a dedicated freighter, it will carry tonnes of important and Sorry, if imports and exports from fresh flowers and live seafood to thousands of e-commerce parcels and packages. Once converted, the A330 will be able to carry up to 50 tonnes of freight on each flight, and the Qantas Group is steadily renewing its domestic and national fleet with orders and purchase rights uh, for almost 300 aircraft. 11 new aircraft are scheduled to arrive in 2023 alone. The new arrivals will see some older passenger aircraft, including two A330s, converted into freighters to help meet increased demand for air cargo that has been fuelled by a sustained increase in e-commerce. Uh, Qantas Freight currently operates a fleet of 18 aircraft and the first of an additional six A321 cargo freighters are scheduled to arrive early next year. A second A330 is currently undergoing passenger to freight conversion and is scheduled to join the dedicated Australian Post Freight Fleet from later this year. <laughs> there we go. Wow. Like Carlos's note on that. Yes, indeed. And I think that's I think that's very, very true, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I just tried. So he's actually. At, uh, I, I don't know if Armando's, but um, Armando's back. But uh, I'm I'm trying to save a file uh, that he's he sent me. So just bear with me a moment because it's. Uh, uh, we know he likes to collect aircraft bits and pieces, and I think it's fair to say that he's got because. Uh, one of the things that I quite like, I've got one here as well. They got I um they got an exit sign, and I've got one from uh, uh, seven four that we that was very kindly sent to us from um, the plane uh, reclaimers guys. But um, I think the the problem with this story is that they uh, aviationsourcenews.com published that it was sixteen thousand three hundred dollars raised for ooh. Qantas Pathfinders. So now Gemma 
knows how much exactly how much it was yeah exactly like i'm sure he told her it was 1600 yeah probably not a lot i think to be fair so so this is the video carlos has just sent he's obviously listening to us while he's doing the radio i have many questions about that uh so here we are we've got the the light look uh turning turning on the light so that's one item that he's got from there he turns that off a few times there we go lovely lovely i'm loving this nas drive by the way uh yeah there we go look he's even got like the 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 seat belt seat like and the, there's no smoking, and then obviously we've got the triple seven dash two hundred window that he's had for a while. There you go. Look, honestly, is it? And it all lights up. <laughs> gotta love it haven't you bless him bless him well that's pretty much it for the uh the commercial stories this week um uh, we've had we've had some good discussions i think actually haven't we 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 were do we we were going so long we had to cut some uh but the good news is don't panic mr warner we've left the military well alone um so uh armando if i could leave lead you to sort of lead into what's next well, we would never cut the military. That's not a budget cut. We're not the government. <laughs> Matt, hit the button. Love that. Buggies one three five fifty angels sixteen three four zero. Okay. Right. Well, the theme song for this story should be I Don't Want to Be Your Friend, A, N- a Night to Remember, 1989. Uh, Cindy Lauper, of course. Uh, <laughs> listen, what is going on with all these balloons? What? I would love to... Oh, is there, is there something going on, is there? Oh, I, did, <laughs> I hadn't noticed. <laughs> it's so silly. I wanted to address it, right, because it is military. There's military aircraft shooting balloons out of the sky. Uh, here... Here's Armando's hot take on this, right? Which is a, a new segment of the, the military portion. <laughs> this has been going on, well, in a number modern of era, years, yeah. <laughs> for, for at least a decade. Listen, balloons, a- aerial surveillance from balloons has been going on since the Montgolfier brothers. So this goes all the way back to the 1800s. None of this is new. Every, many, many, many countries use balloons for uh, surveillance, for weather, um, so, so what exactly is going on? Why use balloons? A lot of people have been asking. Uh, there, there is something to be said about proximity. Um, so, and, and none of this, this is all open source. You could go to many, many websites, intelligence uh, geeks, right? Is that a thing? Avgeeks, intelligence geeks. Very much so, um, yes. If you go to some of the scientific web, websites, you, can, you know that, that one of the pillars of, uh, of intelligence gathering, gathering information on your adversary's capabilities. Uh, one of those is imagery, right? That's probably the one that we're most used to in the movies where uh, you see Tom Cruise and the Minority Report and there's aerial surveillance, right? So uh, some of these sensors can only work uh, to the to the fidelity that you want them to work to from a closer proximity. So there was a conversation, and even I said it, uh, well, the government said it also, um, so just kind of toting the government line, which was that there's nothing that these balloons are gaining that they can't already get from their satellites. Now, the Chinese satellite systems are very capable, although the U.S. intelligence community is probably reevaluating how capable they are if they're using these balloons. But obviously, if you are closer to something, so if you can fly a balloon with an imagery sensor suite, 
at at 40,000 feet as opposed to however many miles up in the sky, three miles up in the sky, you're going to get better fidelity on those pictures. Another part of intelligence is signals intelligence. And we've actually talked about it on this show because there's numerous military aircraft that are outfitted with signals intelligence equipment. Uh, the reason we have aircraft, U.S. military aircraft, foreign military aircraft, U.K. military aircraft with signal suites is so you can get closer to the thing that you're trying to collect on. Um, if you were able to fly a balloon over somebody else's sovereign territory, you're able to get, you know, within just a couple miles. You're first of all, you're you're over their territory. You're at anywhere between twenty and eighty thousand feet, um, which, if you think about the the line of sight distance w between a radio and a transmitter, or a radio and a receiver, a transmitter and receiver, um, is not very much. So you could have a signals collection suite on one of these balloons. Uh, that's probably what they were doing. But even from some commercial applications, um, so like the DC-3 that I used to fly was government and intelligence concepts with commercial applications. So we had a suite of, of uh, not signals intelligence, because you can't do that um, domestically internally, but we had uh, a suite of wide area motion imagery, hyperspectral imagery, these are all sensors that in order to, to get the most, the highest fidelity data, we had to fly low. So that's probably what these balloons were doing. They were collecting intelligence as much as they could uh, based on the weather patterns, and and they they were doing it by proximity. So why, Armando's hot take again, why was this happening? I think based on, on looking at some analysis in the U.S. intelligence community, that it was probably just a probe, just a test from the Chinese uh, to seek out what the political response, what the public response was going to be to something like this happening. Um, now, I, I saw a couple of days ago that the Chinese in a conference said that the U.S. was also, they had launched balloons. Now, this is unlikely, and I'm not just saying that because I'm sitting here in the U.S., but this is highly unlikely because um, we have one advantage that the Chinese don't. We have bases that are close to them. We have bases in the Philippines. We have bases in Japan. We have bases that are close enough that we can fly aircraft where we don't have to fly balloons over their airspace. Um, additionally, the, 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 the Chinese don't have that kind of access to us, right? So the, they can't just come fly off the coast of the U.S. and collect signals over Montana. Um, so, so it is unlikely that the U.S. has been flying balloons over China. Um, also, Common practice. The Russians, there was just recently some articles that uh, just this week, this is just in the past 10 days, the Russians have been flying balloons over Moldova. That closed down their airspace. The Russians uh, flew a balloon that was shot down in Ukraine last week. So there's, this is a common practice. This is all just mass hysteria. It's all, again, back to the media. It just happens to be in the media. It's been going on for years. Um, it, I can't believe how much the media is shaping our policy and decision making right now, but I guess that, I don't know, we don't have a choice, but that's what's happening with these balloons. Um, obviously now the government has to take action. Uh, the, the, the Biden administration came out and said they're gonna evaluate this. They're gonna come up with a four step plan of action to basically evaluate these kinds of incursions into our sovereign airspace. But is it a big deal? Uh, I don't know, probably not. I mean, I guess in in reality, I mean, this is this is something that's perhaps been going on for a while. Is is it something that's been sort of like a, a blind eye has been turned to, perhaps? Um, it's I been mean, going on for a long, 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 long time. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, we don't hear about it here, but then that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean it's it's not taking place here. I guess. Yeah. Loads of countries use them, as our yeah. member said. They fly all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. No. That, no. That's fair. Um, but uh, I, I mean, is there a, a particular reason why um, it's uh, sort of making the headlines at the moment? I mean, is it just perhaps because more people have seen said balloon this time round, and so it was difficult to sort of keep it under wraps? Maybe I don't know. Well, the world's in a heightened state as well, isn't it, with mm. war in Ukraine True. and China rising as they are. So again, media hype doesn't help. Yeah, there's also uh, there's a great podcast um, called Intelligence Matters. It's uh, Michael Morell. It's uh, not aviation based. I know. What? I know. What? <laughs> uh, it is. It is one of the other podcasts that I listen to, and they just recently had an analyst on there from the CIA uh, that uh, kind of explained the the political sensitivities and kind of that the why we're in this sort of tit for tat kind of volatile state with china right now these political players you know there's a lot of taiwan um because we say with the u.s says we're going to defend taiwan are they testing as china testing the waters on that kind of resolve mm. um uh, yeah there's there's a lot of political things that are happening in the background to this and and it, i think it does uh, you guys are right like it just happens to be more the public is more aware of these yeah. things now yes okay uh so speaking of uh, lovers of military by the way armando your biggest fan mr jonathan warner he's just sent us a photograph he's made himself very at home shall we say while he's watching the military part of the the show there uh he's got his tablet in front of him so he can join in the fun in the chat room he's got a very nice little what looks like a pale ale there next to a cabri's cream egg i mean and then you on the big screen uh at the foot of the bed there i do i do i hope you're comfortable i hope you took your shoes off if you're uh if you're climbing into bed with them uh, well i know as, as soon as a military stinger started playing i'm sure he was singing at last you're right yes true uh, oh, 2003 cindy lopper <laughs> let's, let's just all not get too comfortable in jonathan warner's bed though. oh okay no <laughs> no fair enough yes absolutely bit cozy all of a sudden <laughs> crowded i think is another word for it uh okay speaking of china yes Andy, you got the next one here we go so next up uh this is from eurasiantimes.com boeing saab red hawk aircraft on way to emerge as a critical platform for usaf to battle china's j20 and russia's su-57 fighters the training aircraft of the U.S. Uh, Air Force is set to be transformed as a defense manufacturers uh, Boeing and Saab are entering the final stages of engineering and development of the T-7A Red Hawk, following which the aircraft will finally be ready for production. In December 2022, media reports indicated that the production of the new T-7A Red Hawk training jet for the Air Force has been delayed until 2024 due to design and testing issues. Pre-production flight testing is planned for this year. The service intends to purchase 46 simulators, 351 Red Hawk aircraft and ground equipment. Uh, combat training for the USAF is transitioning to a digital age. The existing trainers of the service, the T-38 Talons, will eventually be replaced by a fleet of Red Hawks. 
For the Red Hawks, using digital design approaches has already resulted in 80% reduction in assembly time, enabling the production of more planes in lesser time. The Red Hawk development process was also quicker than comparable land-based vehicles, taking less than three years from the concept stage to the first flight. The maintenance-conscious design of the Red Hawk is noteworthy. Four workers can completely replace the engine in half a day. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. It's just one fueling point within reach of the maintenance control panel, and high wings give upright access to inspection points. In addition, during assembly, half of the aircraft's CPU slots will be left available. Sorry, empty, leaving the other half free for later modifications. The Red Hawk is the first Air Force aircraft to use digital design tools, enabling it to go from computer screen to the first flight in just 36 months. Digital design, agile software and digital engineering technologies have significantly reduced the time between developing the aircraft and getting it ready for aerial testing. The open architecture software of the T-7A will make it particularly adaptable to its predecessors once it is in service, allowing it to add new capabilities and training components to keep up with the modernization of the Air Force. However, the most noteworthy feature of this cutting-edge trainer is that this aircraft will be equipped to dogfight Chinese and Russian fighter jets, as noted by Eurasian Times. This is a one-of-a-kind experiment undertaken by the USAF in the era. I can't even talk tonight. In the era of digital combat, the T-7A poses a severe challenge as an aggressor aircraft due to its small size, making it exceedingly difficult to spot during combat within visual range. Further, locating the aircraft will become difficult due to the thrust and design, which will give the plane considerable agility. According to reports, the USAF may view the T-7A as a viable next-generation aggressor platform as there is an increasing need for more adversary support for the fifth-generation stealth fighters who are not challenged by small formations of fighters. In addition, it has been noted by experts that using fifth-generation aircraft against other fifth-generation fighters for basic air-to-air -air training is incredibly inefficient and financially unviable. This essentially lends more credence to the idea of a next-generation trainer aircraft that could train USAF pilots to prepare against Chinese J-20s or the Russian Su-57. The comparison of the Red Hawk trainer with the US F-16 fighter jet is worth underlining as the latter is one of the best fighter jets in the world and has a rich history of combat and dog fighting. I don't even know what this aircraft looks like. Uh, and do you know, oh, it's, one, it's one of the few things where we haven't been sent a picture by Jonathan Warner either. So. <laughs> oh. I'm sure give it to the end. Um, now, the, the, the T-7 isn't in production yet. I mean, there's a couple of like, uh, prototype models. Um, yeah. So it's unlikely that Jonathan Warner has gotten to photograph one of these in okay, person. Right, fair enough. <clears throat> um, basically, it looks as if uh, F-16 and F-18 had a baby. Um, so it's... Oh, okay. a, a little bit like that so it's smaller <laughs> it's about the size of an f-16 um what is impressive about this, this is a trainer aircraft it's, it was bought as a trainer aircraft but it was bought as the ikea of tra trainer aircraft so it's very modular um it's amazing to me what we can do with technology and and the technological process of designing building an aircraft and and they have obviously thought and this is probably why they won the contract but they have thought about the future of this aircraft. So in the past, you know, we had trainers like the A-37, uh, the T-38, not the A-37, the T-37, the T-38, 
um, in modern times, at least there was many trainers before that, but they, they were kind of one trick ponies. Um, the T38 was similar to the F5. So it had some air to air fighter capability, but now we have the technology because there's so much, uh, software in it that it can be a true multi-role multi-mission aircraft. Um, the, the Europeans have actually been doing this for a while. You know, you're, when, when you're talking about the, the, the Saab aircraft and the, um, uh, the French fighter aircraft, they've, they've kind of gone down this, this, this road of modularity, um, where you don't have to come up with all kinds of different versions. You don't have to do these major modifications to the aircraft. Um, and, and the A-37 actually is a great example of a training aircraft having been adapted into a combat role. That's what this story is about is basically they've designed this aircraft quickly and efficiently to have more, uh, uh, applicability than just as a trainer aircraft to the point where it, it can actually take on some of the fifth generation fighters with with its capabilities so that's why the story is in there very impressive and you know this kind of stuff flows into commercial aviation so yeah as we see you know further down the line we may see further or faster development of commercial aircraft kind of based on proven concepts like they I, do with I really military. like the idea of leaving CPU slots to upgrade later that's brilliant yeah right. yeah it's been really thought about hasn't it yeah haven't we talked about that like the Airbus what, like what is the the guts of the system the guts of the software is probably some 1980 something Linux based software uh, yeah it's based on a Motorola chip that powered the Commodore 64 <laughs> that's how old it is are you actually serious yeah yeah oh my god really <laughs> Motorola 6800, 68000, something like that, that chipset. But it's still, I mean, that chipset's still in production, and they are still finding ways to eke out every bit they can from it. It's quite impressive. Mm. What you can do and, when and, you get and into it. Is that a bit like with the uh, the the mission, uh, like the you know, like the space missions and stuff? Because I mean, I remember sort of, I mean, if you go back ten, fifteen years, I remember there being a a plea put out for anyone who had any DX two sixty six chips kicking around, um, because that's what they'd. That's what you know the the um, you know the spaceships, if you like, the software, everything had all been tested on those chips, and so when the ones that they got were getting a bit sort of thin on the ground, that that was you know they put out a plea for anybody who got one kicking around. I mean, I had a box of five of them of all things. They actually paid me five hundred dollars for those five chips. That's how desperate they Your were. Chips for them. flew in the space program. There you go. They yeah, I know. Fair. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that. Actually, that was like a like a claim, a random claim to fame on that one, but. Uh, but I yeah, think that makes you an astronaut. Yeah, right, does it? <laughs> oh God, really? <laughs> what a terrifying thought. But, uh, Ast astro engineer? Uh, as far as that? Sure, I'll take it. If I can put it on my CV right now, I'm looking for work. Does that? Does that like, I'll take it. I'll definitely take it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, we can put it on your PTUK business cards. Lovely. Okay. Yeah, I'll ask the. Uh, <laughs> yes, as I say, I, I, unexpectedly, I've discovered a, a, a strong link with a form of aviation. <laughs> in the fact that, knowing my luck, it was probably in one of the test units that, that sort of burnt up the second they tested it. But anyway, uh, <laughs> one of those. But uh, mind you, I had five chances. Five chances they had. So uh, there we go. But uh, And I, I guess it's the same thing, is it, Andy? Because it's been successfully type-rated in this particular aircraft, so they're, they're not keen to move away from that particular chipset because they know it works and they know that it's been approved, if you like. Um, yeah, it's, if you it's put, too uh, bit of a... 
it's too big of a modification. If you do that, you have to recertify the whole. Recertify the whole the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I guess that is the case. Like perhaps with some of the newer, um, you know, maybe the sort of the the three eighties, perhaps are using a different chipset. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That that's like what you're talking a MacBook compared to a, a Spectrum. You know, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No fair. Talk and cheese. Yeah. Massive. Difference. Yeah. Yeah. No. Cool. Yeah, indeed. Finally, a part of aviation I almost understand. This is a, a glorious moment. Uh, uh, what else have you got for us, Armando? Uh, we've got two more stories. This next one's a bit of a sad story. It's still developing. just happened yesterday. So there was a uh, UH-60 Blackhawk that uh, had a mishap. It crashed yesterday uh, near Huntsville, Alabama, in Madison County. Uh, there were no survivors for this. Um, what was in a really, really uh, kind of sad and 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 heart-wrenching about this is that footage from from both the crash and as the aircraft was was falling out of the sky uh, has surfaced in social media um, and in the national news but the 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 Blackhawk crashed uh, Alabama Highway 53 um, uh, the troopers were there pretty quickly the Alabama State Troopers um, it was obvious that the, that there were no survivors the um, the highway was closed there it, it looked like a IFR kind of day, an IMC kind of day. Um, this is a, this is an area of Alabama that is very uh, intense with helicopter training. Uh, this particular helicopter belonged to the Tennessee uh, National Guard, the Army National Guard, um, kind of like your um, ter terrestrial army um, over there. Uh, so it belonged to the Guard, and uh, whatever it is that happened was a was, uh, uh, A, uh, a mishap that was unrecoverable. The way the way that the aircraft was falling from the sky, from what I saw from the videos, it was out of control, um, and and fell from a pretty significant height. So, uh, very sad. I know my heart goes out to to the Tennessee Guard, uh, the families, the crews, uh, the people that work with this individuals. But um, really sad story. We'll, we'll try to follow up on it and see if, an, if something comes out of it. Um, but. Yeah. You know, Jonathan Warther in the chat room says, why do people feel the need to rush to send crash footage to the media? I couldn't agree more. This is so... Uh, is it, is it's it, just heartbreaking. I mean, uh, again, forgive my naivety here. Is this... Um, is it because some of these media outlets are paying for it, maybe? It could be. I think it's a two-way street. I think people are used to it now. They They... Capture something like this, and they see perhaps an opportunity to capitalize on it. I don't know. That's really like a sad view on life, and I hope that's not what they're thinking first. I hope they're thinking that they just want to uh, get the footage out there. But yeah. but why the rush? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, these people have families. Their yeah, units absolutely. are really tight. Their units are like families. It's just uh, it's terrible. But I, this this one, when I watched the footage, I was just a little. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Sam's saying the UH uh, the UH sixty is a fantastic instrument platform. So this is befuddling. <laughs> yeah, whatever. No, I agree with that. That the sixty, I've I've, I've never piloted a, a Black Hawk, but I've ridden in, in plenty of them, and and it really is a, an incredibly capable platform, still being produced uh, today. It uh, whatever whatever mm. 
error happened, it was a catastrophic, um, not error, not error, whatever, whatever circumstances were, were catastrophic yeah. where the aircraft was, was most definitely out of control when it was coming out of the sky. And, and before we move on, I'll just mention uh, Jonathan's uh, comment here. He's saying the same happened at Shoreham footage from next to where I was stood, as, as the same regular listeners will know that uh, Mr. Warner was actually there uh, at the time of the Shoreham incident. Uh, and he said and it was online before I even got home that day, then all over the front pages. Um, which is, uh, yeah, sort of a very, 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 yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, that, that's the bit that worries about me. That, that, that's what worries me the most about all of this, as you're, as you're saying there, Armando, is this, like, the, the, the rush to be the person whose name is appearing on the media because you have this footage is almost sort of going out the window in terms of um, sparing a thought for the loved ones of the people involved in this. And, and that, I think, is what sort of hurts my heart more than anything else, really. Um, because however, um, you know, shocking, um, amazing is perhaps another word. I don't know. However, um, you know, exciting access to this footage is, uh, incidents like this have involved, you know, people losing their lives. You know, and I, I, you know, we need to sort of get back to caring about each other. I think going forward, I think that's what we need to do. We need to, we need to love each other a little bit more than I think we do, to be honest. Well, that's an excellent segue. We're going to go from heartbreaking to heartwarming. Mm. Um, Matt, Andy, one of you guys Matt, want to take Matt, this next? Matt can do it. Matt can do okay, it. I've got some videos to play out. I think on this one is it. This is number four, isn't it? Um, it is. So I'd be grateful if if somebody else All could right. read it. I'll do it. But, yeah, All sorry, right. <laughs> I can't. This I'm not very good at play, oh. doing the videos and... <laughs> and I have a surprise that's related at oh. the end of the story. Okay. Oh. Right. So this is uh, from thedrive.com. This is uh, Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer makes incredible save after huge wave. That sentence doesn't even make sense. Um, <laughs> the mouth of the Columbia River can be an extremely treacherous place for mariners. The recent videos posted by the US Coast Guard are a case in point. In it, we see just how absurdly brave coasties can be, notably those hardened by the at times very hostile seas off the Pacific Northwest. This is especially true of one rescue swimmer who faced down a huge sudden wave en route to his target and went on to still make the save. The mouth of the Columbia River separates the states of Washington and uh, Oregon. It's a body of water notorious for its extremely powerful currents that can become too difficult for even the most experienced sailors to navigate. While conducting a routine training mission from their base in the nearby Astoria, two uh, US Coast Guard air crews aboard an MH-60T Jayhawk helicopters received a distress call from the skipper of the private vessel Sandpiper. After alerting uh, watchstanders at a Coast Guard sector Columbia River, who ordered the launch of the incredible capable 47-foot mortar lifeboats from the uh, station Cape Disappointment, air crews quickly found the sandpiper being thrashed about by large waves. Uh, in the video, the sandpiper is seen next to the uh, mortar lifeboat. With the waves as strong as they were, rescue from the lifeboat was deemed too dangerous, so a rescue swimmer was dropped from the Jayhawk into the oh storm-punishing <gasps> waters below. In the additional video, we can see the rescue swimmer battling the swells as they approach Sandpiper. 
The Coast Guard notes that the intention here was to have Sandpaper's captain also enter the water for the rescue to be performed. At least that was the plan. Suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, an absolutely huge and fast-moving wave comes barreling towards the boat and the swimmer, who was still between his drop point and the boat in peril. You can see the or oh, beep moment as the rescue swimmer stops, sees the wave and prepares to ride it out. An instant later it engulfs the rescue swimmer and tosses the sandpiper like a toy, capsizing it with its captain still aboard. Lo and behold, and somewhat astonishingly, the rescue swimmer was still able to safely recover the individual after the wave passed. Lifted aboard the uh, helicopter, the individual was then flown to Coast Guard Air Station Astoria where emergency medical services were waiting. At this time we do not know the condition of the rescued individual, but they were carried off the helicopter without a stretcher. This, is, this story has gotten way weirder. It turns out the man that was rescued stole the boat after leaving a dead fish on the front porch of the famed house in Astoria that was used in the 80s smash hits Goonies. Brilliant. Another Cindy Lauper reference there. <laughs> hey, you got it! <laughs> 1985, the Goonies, the Goonies are good enough. Cindy yes. Lauper. She, she was... Uh, actually, I think Steven Spielberg actually made her the musical director of the Goonies for a little bit. So goodness me, <laughs> how about that? We got Cindy Lauper in through the whole show. Yeah, that's impressive. I'll give you that. Yeah, <laughs> I'll give you that. Yeah, oh. Oh, amazing. This rescue swimmer. I, I have not verified this. I do believe this was the rescue swimmer's first save. <gasps> there's a My brand new rescue me. swimmer. Oh well, yeah. if I was them, I'd be quitting. Fresh. Yeah, yeah. I've had enough Move already. Something else. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's what that's what you said after your first landing in the Airbus after training, right? You're like, well, that, yeah, yeah. I'll take that one. I'm going to retire. <laughs> oh, if only I'd done that 12, 13 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh, a bit late now. Bit late now. <laughs> as as yeah. I say, that's, this is the thing. I mean, I, I I mean, I played it two or three times while you were reading that, and I'm going to play it one more time. That wave uh, as it hits you. I mean, it just blowing my mind. Look, whoa, here it comes. Wallop. <gasps> the amazing thing about that is it, it does a full roll and then ends up um, the right way up the boat, which is stunning, yeah. really, isn't it? It's absolutely stunning. Anyway, there we go. Uh, I could watch that for, for the ages. Power that, of the sea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, A valuable lesson there to uh, never underestimate the water, I think. That's, uh, mm -hmm. that's my takeaway from that, certainly. Well, my goodness me, we have romped through all the stories. That leaves us with one little job left to do. Armando, if you don't have any objections, what I'd like to do is give those who are listening on uh, to the show afterwards the opportunity to get some questions in uh, about the, your corporate aviation program so that they can get in touch. You can do that in all the usual ways. Uh, I'll just whiz uh, through some of them uh, now f uh, with you. It is uh, +447572249166. If you've got questions for Armando uh, in next week's show, all being well, are you, I don't know if you, if it, well, whichever show Armando is able to make next, uh, then I think we'll we'll take that as an opportunity to have a good discussion about the corporate aviation uh, show. And any questions you've got for Armando, you can send them in on that number. We've also got our uh, email address. That's probably the other thing to do. Send them in, please, to email. Uh, it's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. That's podcast at plaintalkinguk. .com or if you're able to join us for the live then you can pop them in the chat room and uh, yeah but uh, uh, we're running out of time rapidly there and I don't want to rush what I think could be a very interesting discussion when uh, when we could save it for another day 
if that's all right with you. Uh, that leaves us with one other task, if that's okay, and it's the small matter of the uh, caption this competition, which we like to do uh, every, uh, most weeks. Uh, we're only gonna, we've only got time for sort of like four or five, but there were some funny uh, options we get we got. Uh, Andy, perhaps you could describe the uh, photograph uh, that we shared on our social media for the caption this. Uh, this week on Facebook. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, uh, I can. And this is going to test my green knowledge. I believe that's an F35. Ooh, you are correct, sir. Um, that's impressive. Well well done, Andy. I'm very with, impressed. With, uh, it's it's not the VTOL one either. Oh, I don't know. Um, it's a F35 with uh, drawing pins attached under the wings. That's the best way to describe it. Flying drawing pins. For, for our, our American listeners, those are push pins. Push pins, right? We don't know what drawing. Pins. I don't know what drawing pins are, but <laughs> they're, they're drawing pins. They're, pish, they're, they're drawing pins. They, they, they don't need any. Although, admittedly, they're usually the round brass tack, aren't they? Without the plastic head, you you pin your drawings to the wall with. Indeed, them. absolutely. You Literally. push them into the wall. Oh dear, Lord. <laughs> I mean, usually only if it's like you know a plasterboard or something. I think you'd struggle to push it through the plaster, certainly. Um, but. Uh, yeah, we've got some uh, great options. Do feel free to pop them in the chat room. We'll come to those ah. in a moment. Uh, perhaps I could trouble someone to go through some of the options that we, we received. Uh, I'll start yep. with the first one. Uh, Bob says, tactical fighter. <laughs> I love that. Uh, John says, Queen Elizabeth F-35 Squadron beer call. Secrets come out as a documentary team show how they play pin the tail on the donkey. <laughs> uh, Bill says, Lost Deed Moron Engineering misunderstood the brief to develop a tachyon weapon. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like that one. Uh, Gordon Bennett, um, I'm sure that's his real name, uh, says the US Air Force's new anti-balloon missile <laughs> being tested over Alaska. According to the Pentagon, it has pinpoint accuracy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Bill says the F-35 demonstrating new weapons to pin down opponents. <laughs> Oh dear! Oh yeah, we've got a couple in the uh, in the chat room. We've got uh, Captain Ridiculous Wits says our military uh, attacks. Attacks. Let's <laughs> see what you did there. Yeah, uh, and what else have we got? It's uh, Richard Adams is saying it's a Mac two balloon popper. Uh, very important, obviously, given the stories that we've had this week. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Sam Dawson has one. I'm going to do in my in my pilot voice, which is. Uh, yeah didn't get that right lovely uh and (laughs) and uh yeah mark mark is saying we have new missiles for the balloons uh i think that's very much uh (laughs) it's very much the the topic of the of the week it has to be said (laughs) oh sam's got another one shebop cindy lopper yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow. Okay. Impressive stuff. And then Captain Ridiculous Wits will finish with this one. It says, all right, man, there's a balloon up there. For now, let's put, go put a pin in it. <laughs> that'll do for uh, that'll do for this week. As I say, we are rapidly running out of time. Uh, Carlos will hopefully post another photograph uh, around about the middle of the week next week. Make sure you find it on social media and get stuck in. Uh, if you would like to find us, I've done the email and everything already. If you would like to take a look at our social media, all you need to do is search either Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. 
for the handle uh, plain talking uk all as one word you'll find all the details you need there uh, and if you'd like to perhaps uh, join in on the fun uh, our wonderful website it's www.plaintalkinguk.com that's www.plaintalkinguk.com on there you'll also find links to our patreon and our paypal uh, if you'd like to perhaps make a small donation towards the running of the show you'll also find on there a link to our amazon it's a special amazon link uh, you can just do your normal amazon shopping and we receive a small advertising referral fee so you can you can uh, contribute towards the show without having to uh, spend money which i know we're all finding very difficult to get our hands on at the moment especially during this cost of living crisis uh, those are the ways to get in touch with the show that's it i think we got away with it didn't we we are literally coming up on two hours uh andy thank you so very much for joining us what's uh, what have you got on the cards for the next uh, sort of like couple of weeks oh sitting at home back <laughs> in my office wanting to go flying right okay yeah uh and in, fun. and and i suspect uh, <laughs> i suspect to be honest with you armando you would absolutely kill for that to just be sat in your office and not flying doing a few bits just for just for a change <laughs> that is uh that is no joke i think i am tomorrow um in naples in the hawker monday um in south carolina in a pilatus <laughs> wednesday thursday and friday i'm on the hawker in texas uh somewhere in between there i'll probably fly the cub Wow, okay, you'll squeeze in a little bit of GA in there somewhere, will you? Well done, yes. Fun, fun, fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I, I'm not sort of really, uh, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing next week, just working uh, and looking for another job. Uh <laughs> <laughs> which is going to be fun if uh, if as i say get in touch with the show in all the usual ways we'll we'll hopefully have a bit of a discussion uh with any questions you've got for armando and anyone else we can perhaps try and put together uh for a little bit of a follow-up on the corporate aviation special that armando very kindly did for us last week but that is pretty much it for this week thanks to everyone for joining my thanks to andy for joining us and also for armando for rushing his ass off to get himself over here in time thanks very much for joining us we'll see you all next week take care everyone bye bye